go quite as planned. Our daughter Naomi, who was expected on the 8th of January, decided to arrive four weeks early on the 12th of December. And she spent her first 10 days in special care. She wasn't seriously ill, she just had breathing difficulties and then she went jaundiced and stayed quite jaundiced. Uh, But on the 22nd of December, we were able to bring her home and we were really excited about being able to look forward to having our new little girl at home and to celebrating Christmas at home. But a visit from the midwife on Christmas Eve brought us the devastating news that she had to go back into hospital. It was so hard. Any other day, any other night, I'd have stayed in with her. But our son Alistair, who was two and a half at that point and had already had nearly two weeks of me coming and going and coming and going, um, it was his first Christmas really that he was going to get a feel of what was going on and I wanted to be there with him on Christmas Day whilst he opened his stocking. So we left Naomi in the care of the doctors and nurses and came home and uh, Julie watched Alistair open his stocking on Christmas morning, which was lovely. But to be honest, I had no appetite for presents or for turkey or for anything. We did come along to church on uh, Christmas Day morning. We sat over there at the front of the side aisle. And every time we sang anything about a baby, I cried. Because my baby was in hospital. And it was just really, really hard. Anyway, after church, we went into hospital to see us. Actually, just as Father Christmas was doing his ward rounds. So we timed that well. And then soon after Father Christmas, the doctors came on their ward rounds. And uh, we just received this completely unexpected news that we were able to bring her home, which was fantastic. And as we walked together out of the ward that day, these words from John 16 came really clearly into my mind. And they so described the experience I'd had. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy, and no one will take away your joy. It was so true. I came home with a heart just full of joy and an appetite for turkey, miraculously reappearing, which Chris cooked, I have to say. did a good job. And I've never forgotten that experience you know, in the roller coaster ride that comes with being human, it's good to remember, isn't it, the words of the psalmist. Tears may flow at night, but joy comes in the morning. Well, we've been working our way through these middle chapters of John's Gospel. Jesus' famous last words to his disciples, spoken as they shared the Passover meal together in the upper room. Knowing what lay ahead, there were things that Jesus wanted his disciples to hear and understand. But elements of it made very little sense to them. And that's where we pick up the story tonight in verse 16 of John chapter 16. Jesus is saying, In a little while you'll see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And the disciples were saying, well, what does he mean by saying that? We don't get it. It's kind of a bit like a now you see me, now you don't, don't you, that you get in a magician's act. Or actually this morning at the 10.30 service, Karen and I did a a good take on now you see me, now you don't. But it was really, really confusing for the disciples to understand what Jesus was getting at. It's easy for us to know. We know how the story unfolded, don't we? So we can read back into these words. Oh, yes, I see what Jesus was saying. But actually, you have to have some sympathy with the disciples who really didn't know what Jesus was talking about. Anyway, he took pity on them and tried a different tack. He wanted to prepare them. He wanted them to know when they saw him die the next day, that it wasn't some terrible mistake, that it was meant to happen this way, and that it was all part of God's plan. So in verse 20 we read, I tell you the truth, you'll weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You'll grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. 
And then he picks up this illustration in verse 21. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby's born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child has been born into the world. And you know, it's not called labor for nothing. It really is hard work, (laughs) unlike any other pain I've ever known. And it's true what Jesus says. You do forget the pain when the baby's born. And it's, it's just as well, you forget it until the next time. And then you say, oh, I remember. <laughs> and it's just as well you forget it, otherwise there'd be a lot of one-child families around, I think. But Jesus is saying, this is what it's going to be like for you. Verse 22, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. And he goes on to hint at what the events of the next few days, his death and his resurrection, are going to mean to the disciples. For three years, Jesus has shared his life with them. He's made God the Father known to them. And of course, the Jewish people were used to having an intermediary, a priest, um, there helping them to meet with God. The system of sacrifices helped them to be put right with God. But the next day, when Jesus was going to offer his life on the cross as the perfect sacrifice once for all, in order to bring us to God. He was going to do that so that any of us who receive what he's done has the right to become a child of God. So Jesus is really trying to tell the disciples that the whole basis for how they relate to God was just about to change. And he does it by illustrating it in this way. In verse 23, In that day you'll no longer ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. You can go straight to the Father and ask him for anything in my name. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? And it's simple in one sense, yes, but in another sense, actually, it can be hard Because I'm sure most of us, if not all of us, have had times when we've asked God for things and perhaps haven't received. And that's really, really hard, especially when we're in times of suffering. So what are we to make of it, these verses in those times? Well, it's worth remembering what was happening for Jesus that night as he spoke to his disciples. He was going to leave the meal and go with his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. If you read on in the Gospel, you can pick up the story You can picture the scene of Jesus on his knees before God, his heart overwhelmed with sorrow as he faced the prospect of the cross, knowing that he was going to take on himself the sins of the whole world, knowing that he was going to be cut off from that relationship of love that he'd had with the Father from the very beginning. And so Jesus gets down and he prays to the Father, if it's possible, take this cup of suffering from me. But then he goes on to say, not my will, but yours be done. Over and above anything else that he might have asked, Jesus wanted most of all the Father's will to be done, even though it was going to cost him his life. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And I wonder for us whether the times sometimes when our prayers go unanswered, something similar might be happening. God might be working a higher purpose, writing a deeper meaning into our lives. There's these lovely verses in Isaiah 55 that describe what I'm trying to say. 
as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So it is with my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your, th- my, your, thought, your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And you know, I really believe that that was part of what was going on for me that first Christmas when Naomi was born. I'd never have asked for things to have happened as they did, but God was working in and through it all in quite a profound way. I remember the morning after she was born, there was a flu epidemic at the hospital, so there was a ward closed and they were really short of beds. So I was asked if I'd be willing to go home with a breast pump. I didn't really need a bed because Naomi was in special care. And it was less than 12 hours after she was born, and I have to say I felt utterly bereft. I hadn't really had a chance to meet my baby yet, and I was being asked to go home. Anyway, I rang Chris and said, could he come and pick me up? And then I rang a friend and said, could she please ask some of our other friends to, to, to um, pray for me? And I came away from the phone in floods of tears. But as I turned away, I just sensed God whisper in my ear, trust me in this. I'm with you. And as the days went on, I began to see that God was actually answering a much deeper prayer of my heart that I'd been praying in the months previously and that I was beginning to see a healing process in the relationship with my mother. Because I too had been born prematurely, and I'd spent five weeks in an incubator. But in those days, special care nursing was very different from how it is now. And I'd had no contact in those five weeks at all with my mother. I'd never heard her voice, and I'd never felt her touch. So I took with me from this experience a deep sense of abandonment and rejection, that was manifesting itself in my adult life in a whole range of crippled emotions. I really was very, very hung up. And I'd begun to realize over the couple of years before this time that some of the root of my issues lay, I think, in this experience of rejection as a tiny baby. And I knew that I needed to forgive my mother. It wasn't that it was her fault that things had happened the way it had. Of course it wasn't. But I did need to forgive her because as a baby, actually I hadn't known that. I just felt rejected and abandoned. But I was really struggling to forgive. I tried every way I knew how. I wanted to say, I forgive you. Um, I want to forgive you. I want to want to forgive you. I bind a spirit of unforgiveness. I just was trying every way I knew to forgive my mother and got horribly stuck. And to be honest, got quite weary with it. And then I fell pregnant with Naomi. And I just put my struggles on one side. I left it with God and I said, well, you've got to come back to me with this at the right time. And now Naomi had been born and I began to see two different things that were going on through what had happened. Those feelings of bereftness that I felt actually for less than 24 hours until I was able to really meet and connect with Naomi, my mother had had to endure for five weeks And actually, that opened up a window of compassion in my heart and helped a measure of forgiveness to begin to flow. And then the second thing that happened was that my mother came down to look after me and my family. 
in the way, so that I was free to come and go into hospital in a way that um, she just hadn't been able to do for me when I was born. So I was able still to care for my little girl, even though she was in hospital, because my mother was caring for me and for the rest of my family. And there was something very profound and healing going on through all of that. You'll grieve, but your grief will turn to joy, and no one will take away your joy. And I think Chris has put this photograph up on the screen. This is one that's on the windowsill of my bedroom. It's of my mother and me looking over Naomi. And actually, it's probably one of my most special photographs because it just speaks to me of the healing that God began to work in me at that time. And it was, it was a process. You know, there was a lot more that had to follow in years to come. But actually... Um, There was something really very lovely when my mother died four or five years ago in me being able to look after her in those final years of her life. And, you know, God did have a higher purpose in what was going on with Naomi when he was born. His ways were higher than my ways and his thoughts higher than my thoughts. So let's go back to our passage in John and pick up the story from verse 25. Jesus is beginning to speak in in plainer language about what's going on. And he said, all that's going to happen, you're going to see why it's going to happen this way. And then you won't need to ask the Father for you. You can ask him for yourself. You won't need me to do it. Ask in my name. And I love that little verse in verse 27 when it says, the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. It's as if Jesus is saying, go on, you know, you can trust him, you can believe him because you've loved me. And then verse 28 really spells out what Jesus was trying to say. I came from the Father and entered the world and now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. And the disciples, you can almost hear them um, say, can't you? Ah, I loved it, Tracy. You said, ah, did it say it in that Bible? It's exactly right, isn't it? Ah, now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. And Jesus responds, hooray, you know, you believe at last. And, uh, you know, it just was, in a sense, that process, wasn't it, of things being hinted at and then things being spelt out. And then Jesus brings them back to the moment. A time's coming and has come when you're going to be scattered, do each to his own home. You'll leave me alone, yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. I've told you these things, he says in verse 33, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And actually those are pretty much the end of Jesus' famous last words to his disciples, because when we get on to chapter 17 and our sermons in the next few weeks, Jesus turns to prayer and he's talking to his Father And they're interesting words, aren't they? In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. It's almost as if he's saying, part of our experience as humans is that suffering is going to be inevitable. Somewhere along the line, all of us are going to suffer. And it's how we respond to it that will determine whether ultimately our suffering is destructive or life-giving. Will our suffering turn us away from God? Or will we allow it to bring us near? Will we embrace our suffering and allow Jesus to take it and us up into his heart? Or will we try to run away from it or hide from it? And let's be honest, how many of us, you know, do try and avoid suffering if we can? 
But Paul in Romans chapter 5 has this to say to us. He actually encourages us to rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance character and character hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. God's agenda for our lives is not necessarily short-term happiness. He's much more interested in giving us long-term joy. He's much more wanting to help us to grow in character so that we can become more like Jesus. The prophecy and promise that pointed to Jesus, after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied, is one that can be true for us as well. We sing a song sometimes and we're going to sing it later in the service. I can see a light that is coming for the heart that holds on. And that's God's promise to us now. So as we draw close and as as we come towards communion, as we receive those symbols of bread and wine that speak so powerfully to us of Jesus and his suffering, of his body that's been broken, of his blood that was poured out, there is as always going to be an opportunity to receive prayer. And it may be that some of us are going through a really tough time right now. And actually, you'd appreciate somebody just standing with you and praying with you that God will give you the perseverance that you need and give you that hope that you long for. Or it may be that, like with me, you've become aware that there's stuff from your past, perhaps, that the Lord is bringing up and is wanting to allow you to just bring into the light of his presence to begin to touch and heal And again, it would be great. We'd love to pray for you if that's where you are in it. So as we draw to a close, why don't we stand if the musicians could go back to pray. I'm going to just close with part of the prayer that's the special prayer for today, the third Sunday of Lent. I used this this morning at nine o'clock and it just felt to me like it was describing really well what we're doing. So let's stand up together, shall we? And... Let's just take a moment to allow the Holy Spirit to speak into our hearts perhaps anything that he's wanting to say or do for us tonight. And then I'll pray this prayer and then we'll go into worship.